That song is a great lead-in to our passage this evening. As we prepare to read uh, Psalm 136, let us come before the Lord and seek his uh, grace of opening, uh, opening up for us this text and uh, helping us to understand. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that the same Spirit that inspired holy men of old uh, to write down and to speak your word to your people, that same Spirit opens our eyes and prepares our hearts to receive the word. And so we pray this evening that we would receive the word as gentle rains are received by the hungry and thirsty land and that it would nourish us and help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that through the preaching and teaching, the hearing, the understanding, and the application of your word, that we would be fruitful believers, bearing thirty, sixty, even a hundredfold, being the good seed that you have planted in good ground. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How important is history to God's people? I know Presbyterians don't talk in church. I, I get that. Very. I heard that. I heard very. I, I might have to turn up my hearing aid. <laughs> it's very important. And I want you to think of how much of the Bible is actually history. The first five books of Moses, history, and the history of the giving of the law and so forth. But it's history. It's the history of creation, the history of God's uh, faithfulness over generations, the story of the flood, the story of the, cap, uh, of the uh, uh, trip to, to Egypt and the deliverance from Egypt, the story of the Exodus and so forth, kings, Samuel, so forth, all history. Even books that are not necessarily historical books still have history in them. History is very important for God's people, illustrated by how much of the Bible is history. We come to the New Testament. Well, we, have, we start off with the four Gospels. Guess what? They're history. Looking at the same history from four different perspectives, four different people writing these, these Gospels. Then we get to the book of Acts. Guess what? History. Even in Paul's letters, even in the other letters, the other epistles of the New Testament, we find little bits of history scattered throughout them. We come to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Guess what? It's history that hasn't happened yet. Well, part of it is. Part of it, part of it can be seen in, in fulfillment already, uh, but part of it points to a future history and what God will do in the future. Underlying this history is the faithfulness, the wisdom, the power the providence of God. Our Shorter Catechism has a very brief and to the point definition of providence, his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. I, I think that needs to be memorized by everyone, and we ponder it, because out of that providence comes our history. We talk about our history. We talk about our church history. We talk about the history. We teach classes in seminary on the history of Presbyterianism, the history of the Reformation. Why? Because we learn from what God has done. And this is the great thing. 
history, God's providence outworking itself in history, is part of God's natural revelation to us. Now, redemptive history, especially as it is written down for us in Scripture, becomes part of God's special revelation to us, which is more definite, more clear, more powerful even than nature itself. The psalm we're going to read is a psalm that encompasses a little part of Israel's history. Actually, begins before Israel was a nation. It begins with God and then goes to creation. And then it goes uh, after creation. It talks about uh, God uh, dealing with uh, the people of Israel in the Exodus, then their sojourn and entering the land of promise, and then a few verses at the end in general about their uh, about God's providence for them. But you'll notice as we read this psalm, it's a very unusual psalm. It was written probably to be sung. Oh, here's a word, and you got to remember this word because it will be on the test at the end of the semester. Antiphonal. It was meant to be sung antiphonally. What's it? antiphonal? Well, an antiphonal singing, antiphonal singing is when you have one person or a choir on one side that says, uh, that sings a phrase, and it, it, it is answered by a choir on the other side that responds with a phrase, and it goes back and forth, and the audience is uh, the beneficiary because you're sitting in the middle. You can imagine this. I, I once had the pleasure of hearing an antiphonal trombone choir. Uh, an entire choir made of trombones. There's about 30 instruments. And they did an antiphonal piece, orchestra piece, where we have 15 trombones on each side of the, of the auditorium, and they went back and forth. I tell you, it was, it was absolutely mind-bending. It was glorious. Uh, but this is also, this was meant to be sung. It was probably sung by the, the uh, choirs of Levites in the temple, uh, and probably sung antiphonally with the choir divided into two parts, each having their part. Now, we're going to try an experiment this evening. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 136, and I'm going to read the first part of each verse, and you're going to respond with the second part, which is a repetition. It, it repeats. You'll, you'll be very familiar with this by the end of the, by the, end of the psalm. <laughs> You will have repeated the same phrase over and over again. So, for instance, in verse 1, I will say, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And you will respond, For his steadfast love endures forever. That's how we're going to do it. We're going to go through the whole psalm. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. To him alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. For his steadfast love endures forever. 
the moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites. For his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. For his and gave their land as a heritage. For his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant. For his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. For his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who, he, he who gives food to all flesh. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Well, you can kind of get a sense of how it was back in ancient Israel. Imagine two choirs, and those choirs actually had thousands of people in them leading worship in the temple. And imagine the two choirs singing this back and forth to each other with the people listening uh, to this. Well, what's the point? If you were to, if I were to ask you, and I will ask you, what's the point of this psalm? It is what? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Repetition is the soul of learning. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Don't let anybody ever tell you there's other methods. Sometimes you just have to repeat it and memorize it. Ah. Why? Do you think this is an important psalm? Well, yes, history. But why is history important? And what particular about the history that it's covered in this psalm? Notice it it begins with statements about God, his supremacy, his sovereignty. It then goes to creation. It then goes to, uh, to Exodus. It then goes to the sojourning in the, in the wilderness and the, uh, the, the uh, taking of the land the promised land, and finally, uh, verses about uh, God's providence and his, again, re- his, his general goodness to all creation. God has driven history. Uh, do you think Ez- Israel ever lived in periods of time that might have shaken their faith? You think they needed to be reminded about this? His steadfast love endures forever. What what about times when God seemed distant from them? What about times when it seemed that God had forgotten his covenant, when he allowed them to be taken captive, when he allowed them to suffer in Egypt? Had God forgotten his covenant when they his people were in Egypt? 
No. In fact, that's how he starts when he's speaking to Moses at the burning bush. I have remembered my covenant that I made with Abraham. The steadfast love of God is often in, uh, linked to his covenant faithfulness. We talked about that this morning, signified, signed and sealed in, in baptism, God's covenant faithfulness. His steadfast love is the same kind of love that Paul writes about in, in Romans chapter 8. Who can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus? Anything in heaven? No. Anything on earth? No. Angels? No. Demons? No. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul's theme in, in that beautiful passage in Romans 8 is precisely the same theme of the psalmist in Psalm 136. We live in times that could shake our faith. Where are you, God? Why are you allowing this insanity to take over our nation? I can't think of a better word to say it. It is self-destructive, self-consciously destructive insanity. And in a way to make it even worse, there's a, a saying uh, attributed to Alexander Sol Solzhenitsyn. Any, you remember Alexander Solzhenitsyn? Ever read his book, uh, The Gulag Archipelago, Archipelago, or Archipelago, if you change the emphasis. I read it as a college student uh, years and years ago, and it was it was a, one of the one of the great books, besides the Bible, that I've I've ever read. Uh, he had a statement statement though. We know they're lying. They know, we know they're lying. We know that they know that we know they're lying. And we know that they know that we know that they know they're lying. But they still lie. That's insane. We're living, we have become a people of lies. And, and I say this as, as a way of saying this is, these are times that could shake our faith. Where are you, God? We pray for our nation. When will you hear our prayers for our nation? But we should look at history, not just American history. But we should look at biblical history, and we will have the answer to our question, where are you, God? Because God was there at creation. God was there bringing his people out of Egypt. God was there with his people in the desert, wandering as they went to the promised land, and as they began the process of, of taking over the land. We could even extend it beyond this psalm. God was with the people throughout their, the, the, the reign of, of the kings. God was with his people during the time of the prophets. God was with his people in the times of their captivity in the times when they were oppressed by enemies. He was with his people, and he does not change. He was with his people when he brought them back from captivity and resettled them in the land. He was with his people when Messiah came 
though he withdrew in part, in large part, his influence from them, yet he was still with them. And he promises to return to his people. Jesus left his disciples and ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. But he said, I, in, uh, the angel said, why are you looking up? This same Jesus, in the same way that he went up to heaven, will come again. He went up in a body, he will return in a body. This is history that hasn't yet happened, but it will. The reason we study, and we don't just study history for the sake of studying history. Henry Ford, and I have to kind of edit his comment about history because he put in some words that probably shouldn't be used in white company. He said, history is just one thing after another, meaning it has no real meaning. It's just a succession of events. It's just one thing after another. But like you said, we believe history shows us God's work, God's hand, God's sovereignty. History demonstrates for the people of Israel and for us that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, even when he seems to be far away. Let's look a little closer at some of the verses in this psalm. The first few verses, the first uh, three verses, give are, are verses that tell us to give thanks. <clears throat> These are uh, these are in the imperative. What is an imperative? It's a command. Do this! Exclamation point. Do this. It's a command. It's an imperative. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Notice the, the, the first verse the, the word Lord is capitalized because uh, what is the Hebrew behind our word Lord capitalized is the name of God, Yahweh, uh, and it, it is his personal name that he has revealed to his people. It is a name associated with his covenant faithfulness because it is the name that he gave to Moses when Moses asked him, when I go back to the people of Israel and they ask me who sent me, what name will I tell them? And he and God says, tell them that I am has sent you. And it is the name of God, the I am. In the second verse, in third verse, the supremacy of God is highlighted, that he is over all gods and, and he is Lord of lords. That's a way of saying that he is supreme over all beings. There are passages in the Bible that speak of angels as gods, little g's, or even leaders as little gods. Uh, but, uh, but God is God of all, all gods and all lords. He is to be thanked because he is supreme over all things. His supremacy, his sovereignty is highlighted in these verses. Verse 4 begins to shift us to what God has done. Verse three, uh, Verses 1 through 3 might say focus on who he is. 
his uh, the essential quality of his supremacy, his sovereignty. Verse 4 turns our thoughts to what he has done in the course of history. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. He alone, again, the uniqueness of God, and he does great wonders, and we're going to recount those great numbers. We're going to start with creation. He spread out the earth above the waters. He made the great lights, the sun to rule the day, the moon and the stars to rule the night. He's taking certain aspects of that creation week that is written out for us in, in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, and he is telling us, and by the way, the writer of the psalm treats the first chapter of Genesis as actual history, as actual history, not as a metaphor, not as a figure of speech, not as a poetic something or other, but as actual real history. When God said, let there be light, there was actually something that God did that produced light. When he separated light from darkness and created our cycle of days, he actually did, did it. It's not just a poetic way of describing our cycle of days. God's sovereignty is seen in his creation. Uh, one, of the, one of the aspects of his creation was when he separates the water from the land. And this is picked up in verse 6. He spread out the earth above the waters. He separates the land from the water, and dry ground appears. The whole story of the creation week is a story uh, of God, in a sense, fixing two things or three things that are uh, noted in the beginning of the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, what, formless and void, empty. It was disorganized, and there was nothing living on it. It was empty, and it was chaos. And darkness moved on the face of the deep. So the story of the creation week is God dealing with these three, these three things that have to be uh, dealt with in order for the earth to be a home for living creatures, a suitable home for living creatures with Adam created as the caretaker, the the ruler over creation, having dominion over the creation. So we have the separation of earth and waters. We have the, the great lights, uh, the sun to rule over the day, the, the moon and stars to rule over the night. I, I think it is kind of interesting that uh, the sun and the moon and the stars are presented here as they are in Genesis 1 as ruling over something that already existed. The cycle of day and night already existed. There are some who say that God wouldn't create sun and moon, or he wouldn't create light until he had created the light-bearing bodies, the sun and the moon. He wouldn't create light. So they, they take the creation order and jumble it up and, and so forth. No, actually the story is that there was light and dark and a cycle of light and dark before there was sun and moon and stars. By the way, when we come to the end of the Bible, there is no sun in the New Jerusalem. God doesn't need the sun to make light.
He is the light. And I think that primal light that came into being when God spoke, let there be light, was an immediate demonstration of his immediate power. Without mediating bodies like sun or moon, And we move from creation, we move to God's redemptive work, which for the Israelites was their redemption from bondage in Egypt. That was the great redemptive act of the Old Testament. And so in verse 10, we shift to God's work in Egypt, struck down the firstborn of Egypt. That is uh, really the end of the process of the plagues that... uh, that God sent on Egypt. He struck down the firstborn. He brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. He divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. By the way, it's an interesting thing. In Genesis 1, the Hebrew words for dry land, the dry land appeared. It's the same words that are used when Israel goes across the Red Sea. They walked on dry land. Same Hebrew words. Same phenomenon that God God spread the water out, uh, divided the water, and they walked across on dry land. He overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. Have you ever heard this song? I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea. Who wrote that song? Actually, it was Miriam, I think. It was Miriam's song uh, that she she, uh, led the people in singing. Again, uh, and and when when Israel stumbled in unbelief, God often reminded them, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt and brought you into the land that I gave to your fathers. We are to remember God's acts of redemption. Our hearts may grow cold. Our attention may wander. Our faith may be shaken. But even as ancient Israel was called to remember God's redemption from slavery, we are called to remember Christ's redemption of our sins. When your faith is shaken, when your attention wanders, when you stumble in your faith, when you begin to walk by sight and not by faith, think of the cross and think of Jesus' words on the cross. It is finished. The work is finished. We sing songs of the dying Savior and the risen Savior. We sing songs of the ascended Lord. We sing songs of the returning Lord. We sing songs of Jesus Christ, and we renew, we are renewed in our faith. History. We have a few verses here on uh, the sojourn and the, uh, the, the coming into the land. And it, it is here that uh, God continues to be with his people in the wilderness, to him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings 
and killed mighty kings, Sion king of the Amorites and Og king of Bashan. Those two get named frequently in the Bible. And I, I, I mean, read the history of those two, and they, they caused Israel a lot of trouble uh, and, and persecuted and, and uh, harassed Israel uh, while they were traveling and, and so forth and, and uh, uh, tried, to, tried to destroy them. But God destroyed them. God destroyed these kings and gave their land to his people as a heritage. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven. We come full circle. We began with the command, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And we consider creation, redemption, God's protection in the wilderness, his general providence, he, he provides food for all flesh, and we come back to the beginning, give thanks to the God of heavens. Christians are to be, and this is one of the reasons why we love to sing songs, because songs are often an expression of thanksgiving, an expression of our thanks, but of our faith, but they are also expressions of thanksgiving. Even when the word thanks doesn't appear in those songs, they very often can be understood in that way. Christians should be thankful all year long, not just on Thanksgiving Day. We have much to be thankful for as a nation, but we have much to be thankful for every day. Every day is a day to give thanks to the God of heaven. God of heaven in heaven and again, the Bible uses this imagery. His throne is in the heavens, and earth is his footstool. We are taught to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's will is immediately carried out, immediately accomplished. We pray that the same thing would be true on earth. We're waiting for God to answer that prayer. But I can guarantee you, when he does, it will be spectacular. It will be beyond our ability to imagine right now. Next time you're wondering where God is, next time you're just thinking all is lost, next time you wonder if it's all been worthwhile, Read this song. Give thanks, give praise, and remember that his steadfast love endures forever. Even when it's not obvious, it's there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would remind us frequently of these words. Your steadfast love endures forever. You do not change. Your love does not change. Your power does not change. Your wisdom does not change. You are the God who, whose mercies are new every morning. You do not change. And therefore, the children of Israel can have peace and confidence and not be consumed. 
We pray, Father, that uh, in times of difficulty, when our faith might be shaken, we pray that you would remind us of these words. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.